Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Limcooler, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at the University of Kentucky. Through the Beef Bits Podcast, we will share current news, management tips, new research, and other issues related to beef cattle production. I'll be joined by various guests to bring different views and insights on beef cattle topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast and find the information useful. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Dare Bullock again, and today we're going to talk a little bit about some genetic things. I know um, we're getting close to that weaning time, Dare, and um, we uh, have some things that maybe would be going on on some of our seed stock operations uh, around this time of year for record keeping. So thought we might touch on that. Yeah, that's everybody's favorite subject, isn't it, Jeff? Record keeping. Absolutely. You know, everybody loves spending all those hours sitting down, crunching numbers, entering in data and all that stuff. Absolutely. I think I think the the only the only time somebody may possibly want to do that other than other things is when the weather is just so disastrous that uh, there's just absolutely nothing else to do. <laughs> and let's see today. It looks like it could be one of those days. Yeah, your timing was excellent. So uh, uh, as we move into the weaning season, um, some of our seed stock guys are going to be capturing some data here on, on weaning weights. And, you know, I remember um, many years ago, whenever uh, it would come this time, you, you tended to only think about registering the best, maybe that top 20% of the herd and, and send in their paperwork and that for registration. But uh, along with that, you'd send in the data and, and that would get reported into the breed association. But that has kind of changed, hasn't it? Well, Jeff, unfortunately, it hasn't completely changed. I mean, with some breeds, and all the breeds are really offering some additional options to try and get more data recorded. Um, uh, unfortunately, for most of the breeds, there's still some loopholes that, that producers that don't want to do it still can get out of doing it. But um, but yeah, there, there are efforts. And in some breeds, it is a requirement to actually send in all of their data. And, and so when we, we talk about that, there's a, a term, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, whole herd reporting. Well, it, it, you, Jeff, you know that the breeds don't always agree on things. So there's about three or four different names out there, whole herd recording, total herd recording. Um, there's, there's a couple of different ones out there. But uh, the concept, I think by the name, most everybody would understand. It just means basically sending in uh, records on all the animals that you have in the herd. And and if you do that, you, you don't necessarily have to register all the animals, right? You could just simply report in all the data for all the calves that are weaned or whatever data from the group. Right, exactly. And and so that's the, the concept. I mean, of, of course, breed associations, they, they, I won't say have to make a living, but they certainly have to cover their cost and things like that. So there's, there's going to be some costs associated with registering the cattle uh, and handling records and everything else. Um, but the benefits are pretty extreme in terms of, of sending in all that data. And, and so there is 
uh, it may cost a little bit to have that to go through that process of whole herd reporting. Uh, but there are some benefits, and I think that's what we want to talk about today. Yeah, you mentioned benefits, and um, I'm not sure that I would see the benefit right off of the bat. If it, let's just say that I've got 20, 20 bull calves that um, I'm weaning off, and I go through and then look at their weaning weights and look at their adjusted weaning weights and you know, there's five or six of them down here that just seem to be subpar and I don't want those to go in and because um, I bring my weaning weight average down. Yep. So intuitively, you would think if you just sent in the information on, say, the best half of your herd, that it's going to make your genetic evaluation look better. But in reality, Jeff, it does just the opposite of that. And that's what a lot of producers don't understand is when you send in your whole records, then those bottom ones that you aren't going to register anyway and aren't really going to consider to, to carry on as seed stock for your commercial customers. But if you don't send that data in, then it doesn't give something to compare your good bulls against. Whereas if you send in all the records on all of your herd, now those bulls that, that are your superior bulls in your herd don't just look average because if you just send in the good ones, they just look average then. But if you send in the whole herd, then it really shows that difference. And, and that's what EPDs are based on are differences from individuals compared to the whole group that he was raised with. And so oh. by in injecting or by submitting all your data, it makes those really good bulls even look better or how they should look really. Well, that just seems counterintuitive that I, I would see that. But when you when you think of it that way, um, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I think the other thing that we often forget about is is the impact on the female side and and her accuracy of her EPDs. Without those um, records being submitted, you know, the, a cow may have what six to ten calves in her lifetime, and um, you missed two or three because you didn't think they were good enough to report. And now her accuracy values are not going to be where they maybe should be. Right. Well, we have a lot of things to consider there. We have to think about her accuracy values. And we also have to think about, uh, you know, we have, we have some attempts to measure reproduction. And if we just selectively don't send in a, a record on one of her calves, then how the record recording system makes that look like is maybe she was open that year. Not that she had a calf, but it just wasn't, you know, a registrable calf. She still had the calf. So from a reproductive standpoint, it shouldn't penalize her. Um, and that's in effect uh, what we're doing when we don't send in all of her records on all of her calves. So when, when we're doing those um, records and submitting them too, we've, we've got opportunities to think about uh this term called contemporary groups mm -hmm. and um you know sometimes i think we maybe either a overutilize or underutilize that and i'll give you maybe an example to comment on is um if i have animals in different pastures um should they be different contemporary groups it it really depends for the most part jeff that just the blanket answer would be yes but if you are truly managing those cattle all alike and your pastures are similar, say you're on a, a rotation or whatever else, um, it, it, as long as, as there's truly 
no difference in how you're treating those cattle and, and managing the cattle then you can and they're within the same time frame and everything else you can include those cattle into the same contemporary group there are some contemporary grouping st strategies that will help us out typically the larger our contemporary groups are the better it is for the genetic evaluation yeah that's that's a good good comment and and sometimes you know i, I know folks for example that may throw in um, calves that got sick or um, uh, just didn't perform well because they had a sickness early on or something maybe was wrong with the dam and she had mastitis and so they'll they'll throw them into a different contemporary group to handle some of those differences right yeah i mean there there's you know what i would encourage people to do is if you're a seed stock producer, you know, you're getting more for your cattle, you know, in, in the end when you're selling them. You need to put more effort on the front side, too. So make sure that you're familiar with the rules of contemporary grouping within your breed association and, and follow those. Don't don't just, you know, pass them off as, well, they just want me to jump through hoops. There's reason for those hoops. And so uh, make sure you're up to date on how you're supposed to set up your contemporary groups and then follow through on it. Do it the right way. I mean, I, I don't think it benefits any of us to try and kind of skirt the system or, or see if we can take a shortcut here or there. Um, in the long run, it catches up with you. So let's let's do it and do it right. So getting back to the whole herd reporting, there's there's a lot of things that we maybe forget sometimes because we're focused in on our own herds and on our own farms. But um if, if we're using, you know, a, a bull that's out of a popular AI sire, then, you know, the, the data that we're submitting is also impacting um, that grand sire's EPD data, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, either using AI or using even if our herd, by, our, our herd bull is usually by an AI sire possibly. And so, uh, and then the maternal characteristics, you know, that are coming through are going to impact him. So, yeah, it, it filters up through the system. That's the beauty of EPDs. It's, you know, that, that actual measurement that you're taking and sending in doesn't just impact that sire and that dam. It's every relative, brothers, sisters, cousins, grandparents. Um, it affects every ancestor of that animal. So, Ibber, you know, we've got one tool there then to help us on EPDs and getting a handle on some of our genetics and our breeds and individuals with the whole herd reporting. But uh, what other tools do we have today to, to help us improve the accuracy of some of our EPDs? Well, the, the one that comes to mind is is certainly genomics. But, but before we get there, Jeff, can, can, I, can I put a backspin on us? Um, backspin I, us all the way. <laughs> Spin we'll, that record, we'll, DJ. We'll, we'll just hold right there. But I don't want to, I, I want to, I don't think I properly emphasized one thing about whole herd reporting that I do want to, to bring out. We, we talked about the improvements in accuracy and we talked about you know, the importance to contemporary groups. I've mentioned it, but I want to really press the benefits of whole herd reporting to reproductive traits. Because to me that, and you've heard me say this many times before, I think that's the one area that genetic evaluation has let producers down um, is that we don't have great tools for reproductive performance uh, to help, you know, folks make selection decisions. And we're never going to get there without whole herd reporting. 
the only way we're really ever going to get to the point where we can give good reproduction EPDs is when we have whole herd reporting. And I'm going to give a shout out. There's some breeds out there that, that do require it. Red Angus is, is one. Gelvie is one. Uh, those, those associations are requiring it. And I think that they're going to have a step up on those reproduction traits uh, because of it. And so uh, I, I really, most of the other breeds, it's optional. Um, I think that, that those that can have some impact on their associations should, should be pressing for us to move to whole herd recording across the board uh, and let's get on this reproduction thing so we can get some problems solved there. So uh, in regards to the reproductive traits, um, sometimes they may be uh, a little bit difficult, but maybe not as hard to get some of that data. We just have to be strategic about it because when you know, we have options of doing pregnancy checks um, at different time intervals. And uh, most of the time, we're probably going to do those right at weaning time, wouldn't we? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So and and really, a lot of times, uh, Jeff, the, the preg check information um, is probably more beneficial to the management side of thing, whereas um, from a genetic evaluation standpoint, we're typically more interested in getting that live calf born. Good point. And, um, you know, we have some of those on the, like the heifer pregnancy, um, EPD and yep. that. Well, heifer pregnancy and, uh, the one that, uh, the one that, it's actually an EPD that I really like from a reaper to a, a 30 month pregnancy one. And so that's telling us the ones that got pregnant, you know, as a first calf heifer, and then she got rebred, which as you know, is where we lose most of our females. And so, uh, bulls with higher EPDs there, it means their daughters do a better job of getting pregnant, not only the first time, but the second time as well. And so that one, that one actually, uh, does rely on the, the preg check data as a matter of fact, Jeff. So good point there. So, so let's go through that one one more time. Okay. Um, that, that EPD, just so everybody understands, um, the difference between the heifer pregnancy ratio or heifer pregnancy and the um, other EPD that's out there. The 30-month preg, right. yep. Yep. So the, so the difference is, is for, so for heifer pregnancy, that's saying basically the bull with the higher value, it means that his heifer daughters, a higher percentage of them will get pregnant as heifers, Okay. And so, unfortunately, there's not a relationship between getting pregnant that first time and lifetime reproductive performance. So, yes, it's a good tool to help us get a higher percentage of our heifers pregnant that first time, but it's not really a, a great indicator of lifetime reproductive performance. The 30-day pregnancy is that they had that first calf as a heifer, and then, you know, they would then, at 30 months, checked pregnant again. Okay. So a higher percentage, a bull with a higher EPD for 30 month pregnancy just says that they have a better shot or their daughters do a better job of getting pregnant that second time, which is where we lose most of our females is they have the first calf and we have a hard time getting them pregnant that second time. And so bulls with higher values there, um, they, they get a higher percentage of their daughters pregnant that second go around. 
And I have we, it's it's not been around long enough to really look at how that relationship with lifetime reproductive performance. But I, as a betting man, I'm going to bet it's going to have an extremely high correlation with lifetime reproductive performance. I would tend to agree. Um, and uh, and just to clarify, because you mentioned thirty day, but it's really thirty, 30 month. month. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Nope. You're Months, good. days, same thing. <laughs> yeah 30 days so that okay so i've got to get out and do my ai uh, or my preg checks after ai or bull breeding yeah no it's 30 months yeah. and uh, so uh you know when we're weaning calves you know it's a good time to work cows and, and we can get that pregnancy data and or we can wait then as you're saying too and then the that next year's calf we can just turn it in and that that birth data then would count back toward reproductive data um, as well. Right. Yes. So a couple ways of getting that information in. Absolutely. Great. So now let's jump back and, and spin forward then. And uh, let's, <laughs> let's go back and kind of answer the question. What other potential genetic tools do we have out there to help improve our EPDs? Well, we've talked about whole herd recording. We've talked about some contemporary group strategies, uh, just masses amounts of data. Uh, just we we're never going to get away from it. We talk about genomics and everything and, and genomics are great and have helped us a bunch, but it's never going to replace the fact that we're still going to need to take phenotypic measurements on our cattle and send that data into the breed associations. And so we, we can't we can't neglect that. So keep doing that. And then the big one, the more recent one, Jeff, is the, the genomics information we're getting, having a a bull genomically tested and that information being sent through the breed association so that it's incorporated into the computing the EPD to give us a, a higher accuracy EPD. That's and, that's a big one. And so that what's the process of getting that data and getting it submitted? Okay. <laughs> like we said, it, it, of course there's a, a, you know with with 20 something different breed associations. There's 20 something different ways that it's supposed to be done. So the advice I try and give producers is, is if you decide to get into genomic testing uh, for genomically enhanced EPDs, contact your breed association, uh, get on their website. A lot of them have a lot of great information on there. They're starting to put videos up to help you out with the process and everything else. Uh, but that's what those that's what you're paying when you pay registration fees is for their support. And so utilize that support and uh, they will be very effective at telling you just what you need to do so that you can get those genomically enhanced EPDs. So I wish it was a cookie cutter thing and we could just give you a short description and you go and do it. But but it is very much association dependent. As different independent companies are used by different breed associations and yep. different sample techniques and absolutely. So so when when we're looking at those um, the genomic enhanced EPDs, what's what's the real value in that information compared to the actual values of weaning weight, yearling weight? ribeye area, et cetera. Well, once again, it's not to replace the other. The other needs to go too. And then when we add on top of it, the genomic information, we just get a much higher accuracy value, particularly on young animals. Okay. So if you have a bull that you've had for six years, your herd bull, and, and you've got a couple of hundred progeny maybe from this bull, 
don't genomically test him. You, you've, you're not going to, the incremental gain you're going to get in that bull is going to be very, very small. Whereas your yearling bulls and your females that you don't have very many, many records on, that's where you get some real value. And, and for a yearling bull that doesn't have any progeny, okay, you can, you can, it's basically the same for some traits, a trait, let's say like calving ease direct in a breed like Angus. It's the same. If you do a genomics test, it gives you the same amount of information as if that bull were to have had 24 calves that you collected calving ease data on in a seed stock setting and sent that information into the breed association. That's the equivalent of information we get from that one hair sample or blood sample. So that's enormous. I mean, I, yeah. you know, and you can do that at birth. You can take that sample if you wanted to at birth, probably smarter to wait and do it around weaning time. And so let's think about that then from a value standpoint. That test for most breeds and in most companies is in the 30 something dollar range. Okay. So you just paid 30 something dollars for a trait like calving ease to get the same as collecting 24 calves worth of data. Okay, so now, but you would have to wait to do it then, right, to, to collect the actual data. Now you can do that prior to weaning or at weaning time, and it can help you in your selection decision. So you might find out that that bull that you thought was going to be an easy cabin bull based on his genomics test, you're not going to be able to sell him. And so now you can go ahead and castrate him or put him back into the food supply chain as opposed to you know, waiting and them, he, him either disappointing one of your customers or you're getting the data later and finding out, you know, this is going to be a hard bull to move. And so we can make decisions earlier that really will, I think, easily make back our 30 something dollar investment that we put into genomically testing that bull. On the flip side, it also gives more reliability to our customers that are buying those bulls. And so we're going to make we're going to, they're going to make fewer mistakes because when they buy a bull based on his EPDs and he doesn't turn out to be what they expected, you get blamed, right? As, as the seed stock provider. And so if you can add accuracy before you ever sell that bull, there's going to be fewer of those cases where he thinks he's getting a calving ease bull and has to pull calves, or he thinks he's getting a high growth bull and the calves don't really uh, hold up like he expected them to. So you have fewer of those mistakes and happier customers and earlier selection to, you know, earlier time period that you can make your selection decision. So I, I, I have, to me, it's one of those things, Jeff, it's kind of like growth implants, the value, uh, the, the return on investment to me is, is pretty obvious. Um, and so it's, um, I, I think it's well worth the, the effort and the cost for our seed stock guys to be doing this. And it, we need to think about it as another tool in the toolbox. And, you know, you mentioned this on the bull side, but you know, it, it also can help you maybe make decisions on replacement heifers. And if oh, you've got yeah. th 30 and you're thinking about keeping 20 and selling 10, that just improves the accuracy and maybe helps you make decisions on finding those borderline cuts. Right. Yep, and, uh, and 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 now to be clear, we're talking about still on the seed stock side. The commercial side, the commercial genomic tests that we have out there, um, I'm, I'm not as firm on my return on investment on those. Uh, there's still some 
issues associated with that because there it becomes an issue of whether about the commercial guy, if he's retaining ownership, then we're probably getting pretty close to there being a good return on investment. Um, if you're if you're keeping those, you know, if you're selecting your heifers and then keeping back their progeny to put all the way through and getting paid on the rail, then then we may be to that point. Uh, if you're doing like most Kentucky farmers and you're still selling weaned calves, I'm not convinced that that that's gonna that those tests are gonna pay for themselves yet. Uh, good good point to make sure that we're um, understanding about the difference between seed stock and maybe the commercial. Right. So um, if if we were looking then, you know, we're we've got some. I noticed today I was flipping through a magazine and some of our uh, fall bull sales are getting ready to start. And uh, if I were looking to buy a bull that was genomically tested and had genomically enhanced EPDs, how would I know that that bull was tested? <laughs> well, uh, it's kind of funny. I did a talk last night up in Carroll County and that was exactly the, the topic. And, um, and, Really and truly, uh, but prior to giving that one, I wasn't, you know, I wanted to go through and see the different breed associations, how they were doing it. Um, as you can guess, they're all doing it differently on the pedigree, the performance pedigree. Uh, if he's been genomically tested, there are ways of finding it out. It's just that some breeds, it's a little easier than others to find that out. Um, I tell you, the one that I wish they would all go to is what Hereford is doing. Hereford has a nice little pretty symbol that says AHA GEEPD for genomically enhanced EPD. And it's a nice little double helix DNA swirl there. And it's easy to recognize. And, you know, there's no problem with it. Some of the others have done their best to kind of hide <laughs> the fact for whatever reason. But I guess that what I would say, Jeff, the easiest way to do it is just to look at the accuracy values. And, and if they're starting to get in that 0.25 or above range uh, on a yearling bull, they have probably been genomically tested. Not a guarantee, but probably have been genomically tested. Um, if they're still down in that 0.05, 0.1 range, they have not been genomically tested. Um, and, and, and then just get familiar with the breed, with the breed you're dealing with. And, and once you know where to look, it's easy to find. And, and sometimes we forget there, you know, in the front of the catalog, there's usually a, um, kind of a letter from the, uh, um, breeder. And a lot of times they'll mention in there that, um, the bulls and, and that in the catalog have been tested. Yeah, great, great point. And I think that leads us back to the other thing is, is that, you need to get to know your seed stock provider and he needs to conveniently and easily answer your questions. So yeah, you, you make a great point, Jeff. Really what you need to do is just talk to your seed stock guy and say, Hey, has the bull been genomically tested? And if you're concerned that you might not be able to trust him to tell you the truth, then go shop somewhere else anyway. Right? Good point. Very good point. So are there any other tools uh, that you can think of that would help us? Oh, there's lots of tools, Jeff. But uh, in, in terms of improving accuracy, those are the, are the big ones. Uh, you know, the um, 
genomic testing probably is probably still at the top of the the chart for for its ability to help us. And the other thing, Jeff, is that the genomic testing helps with those reproductive traits and all too that we don't keep as good a records on. And so um, it, it's also helping us to make improvements on those reproductive traits and getting good EPDs for them as well. But uh, the whole herd recording, genomic testing, and some contemporary group strategies, you do those things, you're, you're going to be providing your customer with, uh, with, with the best tool, those EPDs with higher accuracies that they can have to make good sound selection decisions. Well, I think this has been kind of a good overview. You know, we, 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 a lot of times skip over the seed stock side because we're a predominant commercial industry here, but we've got a, a lot of seed stock folks in the state and in the, in the region that, um, you know, there's change. And, and <clears throat> I think this year was our first year for our, um, state bull buying program to require genomically enhanced EPDs, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Counties that are spending 2021 money, uh, the bulls that qualify must have been must have genomically enhanced EPDs, and um, and so you know there's a few counties that are still dealing with 2020 money, and and they get by without having that for this year. But uh, by next year, it'll be everybody. Uh, you know, all the money being spent on the the bull call share program, the bulls will have to have genomically enhanced EPDs. And I and I really, Jeff, I hope you know we, we this is you know, to a large extent for our seed stock guys, but for our commercial guys out there, I, the one point I want to make to them is, is, is don't, you know, there, there is value in this. And so if your seed stock guy is willing to go to that extra effort to provide you with higher accuracy EPDs, then I think it's, it's up to our commercial guys to kind of uh, chip in a few more dollars in buying that bull to, to help out on that end too. So, um, when when there's a cost on that end to to help you make good decisions, then then we all need to kind of share in that. I think. I mean, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I think we all have seen, you know, some of those EPDs where they'll, you know, as a yearling with very little data submitted, they'll move one way, or and then all of a sudden, after more data submitted, they move may move the other way, and and that's what the genomics testing is trying to do is to get more data. Um, available to improve the accuracy of that genetic value of that animal. Right. So, <laughs> and that brings up a really good point and one that we need, do need to caution folks on. And that is that when you have one genomically tested, tested, it doesn't just improve the accuracy. It may change the EPD. It will improve the accuracy, but we have to understand it may change the EPD too. Okay. And, and either good or bad. It can go either direction. And so here's what I want to also caution people, particularly with the CAKE program. Don't buy a bull that hasn't been genomically tested, that meets the qualifications based on not being genomically tested. And then you as a commercial guy send the data through and get a genomically enhanced EPD on him. Because here's the reality. After you do that, he may not then qualify, right? Because it could drop his calving ease, it could drop his, you know, weaning weights, yearling weights, milk, whatever, to then make the bull not qualify. So be sure that it's done prior to you purchasing the bull, that, that, that you already had the genomically enhanced EPD prior to purchase, because it can change the EPD. 
I, I have a, a good friend in the in the seed stock business that that had a bull that would have been easily considered a, a calving ease bull, got him genomically tested, and it went from a plus six to a minus two. Wow. And so uh, you can sometimes, now rarely do you see huge changes like that, but you can see significant changes based on the genomics test. Yeah, and I, I, I just wanted to bring that up because the other day I'd seen something and, and it was, you know, the the discussion about, well, you know, all this data's moved in-house now and they're, they're cooking the data in there, <laughs> but it's important to understand that we have greater technology that's in, you know, th that value likely would have changed as more data would have came in. Um, oh, absolutely. We just have more, yeah, right. so we just It have just more. happens sooner now. And exactly. it, it happens at a time we can do something about it. That's the beauty of it. Uh, before we had to wait and see, we don't have to wait and see any longer. Good, good point. Well, Darren, I think this has been a great discussion on um, thinking about whole herd reporting and contemporary groups and, um, you know, the genetic uh, enhanced DPDs and, and how to maybe go about taking that data into consideration when we're buying bulls here coming up this fall and in the next spring. Are there any last words of wisdom uh, on this topic you think is relevant or would like to share? I don't believe so. I, well, I tell you what, there's there's a great fact sheet out there on whole herd reporting if somebody wants new information on it. Uh, and it's on the website ebeef.org. It's easy to spell, ebeef.org. And our newest member to our eBeef team, uh, Dr. Troy Rowan down at the University of Tennessee, hate to give kudos to the University of Tennessee. You know, that burns me. But, uh, <laughs> but Troy's doing a great job down there. And uh, he, he put in a fact sheet for us on whole herd recording. And so you can go there. We have tons of other fact sheets. But if you go there and, and look under the fact sheet section, you'll find that, that, um, that one on whole herd recording if you want some more information on it. Tons of stuff on just EPDs in general, genomics, crossbreeding, everything you can imagine. We have videos, fact sheets, all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, we love our Tennessee colleagues. <laughs> so well, We uh, love to give them a hard time even more. Yes, we do, because they love giving it back to us. Um, just another thing uh, uh, for us in Kentucky, if, if you're looking at buying a bull um, and you mentioned about buying one that qualifies, uh, there is a website, right, that they can go in and plug in EPDs and look at that um, bull and see if it's going to qualify. Right. And probably the easiest way to do that, Jeff, instead of trying to memorize websites because it's a pretty long title, I've been successful at just Googling uh, Kentucky Bull Calculator and uh, it comes up usually first. And so um, hopefully that'll continue to be the case. But if you just put in Kentucky Bull Calculator, uh, it should pop up there, but it's on the Animal and Food Sciences website. Um, and so, yeah, and, and then you just simply, if you're a seed stock guy, you plug in the numbers of your bull and it tells you what all categories he qualifies for. If you're trying to buy a bull, the one you're thinking about buying, you go to the bull buyer section, plug in those numbers, and it tells you if the bull qualified for that category that you're hoping he qualifies for. Good deal. Well, that's been uh, great information, Dare, and I want to thank you for joining us again on uh, this episode. And uh, we look forward to to getting feedback on on these types of topics. They're they're a little bit different, but uh, certainly 
kind of valuable information as we move into this uh, time of the year and all the bull sales start on the fall side and, and folks might be wondering, well, wonder what that genetically enhanced CPD really means and what it's going to do for me. So I think this has been great to kind of help answer that a little bit when we're thinking about those uh, enhanced CPDs. Well, appreciate you doing this, Jeff. You do a great job with it. It's kind of fun to come on and, and have a good chat with you and uh, hopefully, hopefully extend some education. Thanks, Adair. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. And I uh, want to thank all of our listeners again for listening to this episode of the Beef Bits podcast. Be sure to send us feedback. And uh, if you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Beef Bits podcast. We hope you found it enjoyable and informative. Be sure to subscribe to the Beef Bits podcast for future episodes as well as listen to previous ones. Until next time, be safe and reach out to your county extension office for more information on beef management topics.